I want to pray first, and then we're going to engage. Abba, Father, I love you, and I thank you. And uh, Lord, it is, a, it is a gift to be here right now with these people. And I ask for your grace and favor, um, not because of any good thing that I have done or we have done, but because you are kind and your mercy is made in everyone. I just want to say thank you. The people watching online, Lord, stir, stir their spirits, stir our spirits' minds to love you more and love people. And to fulfill the Great Commission. Um, we need you. And we need wisdom. Our nation needs wisdom. We need wisdom. And I ask for this gift right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, I, I brought a prop. And uh, this is a wheel off my old, almost worn out bike that I never ride. Um, I, I do this to create the idea that there's a hub and there's spokes that come off the hub. All right? And what I'd like you to think about is that with scriptures, there's a key hub-like idea. It's a true statement. Okay. For example, uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Okay. That's like the hub. Now, issues come out of that, right? So does that mean a Muslim will not go to heaven? Ouch. All of a sudden, it got expensive, right? That's one of the spokes coming out of the hub of John 14.6, either Jesus misinformed, was misinformed, and gave the wrong information. He's a liar, right? Uh, he's a little crazy. He's a lunatic. Or he actually told the truth, that he really is the way, the truth, and the life. And if that is the case, do you understand how exclusive Christianity is? Instantly, it's exclusive. Yeah. Okay. So you can have a biblical truth, a scripture, but out of that comes some really important issues, right? And, and I want us to be sensitive to that. And uh, now one thing we're not going to do today, and I, and I realize that I've got the most wonderful people here, but man, this is not the place to argue. It's not going to be about that. I will not tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to have any presidential candidate up on the screen or anything like that. Uh, there's no, no pictures of someone with Mark of the Beast and all those kind of things. Um, uh, what we want to do is walk through Scripture. If we really are followers of Jesus, if that's who we say we are, and we're going to do it in a practical, real, and tangible way, then that's a pretty big hub with some big spokes coming out of it. A lot of things are implied. So with that in mind, let's kind of walk through some things. Let's, let's look at this together. I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them to vote without fear of reward for the person they judged most worthy to speak no evil of the person they voted against, and to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Who said that? Any guess? Any guess? That was John Wesley in 1774. Wow. Yeah. John Wesley. One of the men, he and Charles, started a revival uh, at that time in history. Amazing people. So I, I, I love that. We can be genteel. We can be kind and respectful people and still maintain integrity. So, okay. Is the Bible a political book? Boy, really, really is. Yeah. Now let me give a quote by a, a, a scholar named Beatrice Beebe. And this is what Dr. Beebe says. When we go to do research, it really sometimes is more about me search. And what she means by that 
We tend to already have in mind what we want to see, and then when we look for it, we find what we were intending to see anyway. So our research can be bent toward really me-search. And if that's a tendency in you, and it certainly is in me because I'm human, sometimes we've got to work hard at stepping back a little bit and seeing the bigger picture. And it's just work to do that. Me-search is fun. You get quickly validated, and you feel better about things because you just proof-texted your own opinions. Okay. And by the way, sometimes we have to do that, and it's okay to do that. But really, the book of the Bible is very political. Yeah, I know it's spiritual, yes, but there is so much about politics. The four Gospels, the book of Acts, 1 Peter 3 and 4, are just an example. But Revelation, wow, it is one of the most profound political books in the New Testament. And hard to work through. Very, very hard. All right, um, let's talk about our worldview. German, Weltanschauung, how you see life. The lenses that you put on to see and value things. Now we express it in our time. Uh, Justin Rasnick is a cyclist that his performance numbers are right at semi-pro. It's amazing what kind of an athlete he is when you get him on a bike, mountain bike or road bike. He throws time at that. He talks about it. He throws money at it. He behaves like a cyclist and gets on his bike and pedals. Ain't that something, okay? Our, our, all our lifestyle kind of gives us away where we spend our time, our money, what we talk about, our behaviors, our emotional endorsements, our intellectual endorsements, and ways we demonstrate tolerance all reveal a lot about our worldview. So let's talk about culture. Based on your worldview, is culture the dominant force in your life? All right. Or, or is it Christ? Now, now, be patient with me. The assumption this morning is that we are followers of Jesus. That's the assumption. Now, if we're not, this is going to be a difficult teaching. Okay. The assumption is we are. We really do claim uh, the truth, claims of Jesus. So for us, is it culture over Christ? Culture is the big thing. We're going to fit in, and Christ is eh, just a little tag, a little tag on a little accessory piece. Or is it Christ over culture? Christ is the dominant centerpiece the hub of our lives and in our time and our talk and our money behaviors and all these things all, all really anchor on him or do we say see ourselves a little more balanced where you know you've got culture in christ and you're kind of on the same field but but culture is going to come first or christ in culture you know christ is going to come first kind of sort of and you're kind of fence riding a little bit there you know which one is it okay now remember your world view will be expressed on how you live Okay, so let's punch through this. Let's talk about authority for a minute. I think regarding theology and doctrine and politics, the driving need is that we want to be right. That's the driving need. And, and I'm that way. Now, if you ask me a, a theological question like, um, when we take the Lord's Supper, does the bread and the grape juice literally transubstantiate into the flesh and blood of Jesus? I'm a former Catholic, I can say that, and I'm gonna tell you no, it's not. And I think I'm right, and I really like it when I'm right, right? Don't you, I like it, I wanna be right. I've got, a, I've got a brain, let's use it. So there's a real need for authority, and there's a real need for authority on political things. Uh, the, the rhetoric is ratcheted up to a level, Pam, I've never seen in my lifetime. Of course, I'm paying attention more now than I ever have, certainly. But wow, the need to be right and, and what CNN says and what uh, 
Fox News says and all that in between. Everybody's trying to be authoritative. Everybody's trying to give you the facts. Well, I, I want you to hear from me. This is a personal, I'm giving you my personal opinion, my conviction right now. I believe authority, first and foremost, comes from the living word of God. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living. It's alive. It's like a sharp two-edged sword. And it can separate a man, just like bone and marrow, motive and thought and intentions at heart. And the next verse says that no creature is hidden from the eyes of God. And scripture will judge us. We will, we will be forced to reckon with the truth. Okay? I believe Jesus says in you know, John chapter 6, verse 63, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I say to you are spirit and life. I believe what Jesus says is the ultimate source of authority for me. All right? I do believe there is authority and truthfulness in the mathematic sciences, in the medical sciences, in the rational philosophical sciences, in the physical sciences. Um, Romans 1.20, the very physical universe speaks of the, the attributes of God. I believe truth can be derived and found in other sources than the Bible, but I believe this is the ultimate source. This is the final authority. That's for me. All scripture is profitable for instruction and teaching and training and correction and righteousness. So the man of God or the woman of God may be approved. Okay? Now I also, I'm, I'm putting, I'm doubling up that idea of God's word because not only does it take priority in my life, but it's also foundational to my life. All right, a quick review of socialism. All right, this will be fun. Marx actually started off as a socialist, by the way. And uh, Lenin, Stalin, Mayo, Castro, uh, Margaret Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood, Martin Luther King, uh, Bernie Sanders, and the famous gal named AOC are all publicly uh, avowed socialists, all right? Um, in summary, socialism, the social economic doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership. A way to, a way to um, illustrate the force of that would be for me to say, with a group of this size, I want 15 of you to give me your car keys and I'm taking control of your car. And it doesn't matter whether you think you need your car or not. I and my agency will determine who gets a car, what kind of car they get, and how they're gonna use that car. You get the idea? Okay, moving away from private ownership to public. Uh, things really ratchet up and get really, really intense regarding Marxism. Uh, Marx did finally move to that. Uh, it is a political, economic, and social uh, uh, philosophy by Marx, uh, a theory and practice of socialism, including labor theory, value, dialectical materialism, the class struggle. The whole point is to establish a classless society. There's no upper, there's no middle, and there's no lower class. Right? Uh, and this is a forced thing. Just a couple more fascism started by Benito Mussolini, also Hitler, uh, an ideology and movement in which the government takes total control, absolutely. Forcible su suppression of opposition. Think about that one. Forcible suppression of opposition. What's the First Amendment of our US Constitution? What is it pass? Would you like to lose that? As a Christian, would you like to lose your right to free speech? 
Would it not change things? Okay. So, a republic, this is, in, in simplest terms, this is when the process of government based on states is established by representatives voted by the populace. We are a republic. Now, let's dig in. Uh, social issues recurring, or rather requiring a Christian response. This is very, very brief. Abortion, citizenship, civic duty, our constitution, government, authority and limits of, gun control, foreign policy, healthcare, nationalized, socialized healthcare, or privatized healthcare, human trafficking, immigration, refugees, securing our borders, national defense, racism, slavery, taxation and the redistribution of wealth, all these matters, and war. Are there biblical and, and, and anchored in scripture responses to these things? I think there are. I think, unfortunately, the scripture is not an encyclopedia of all issues and all cultures at all time. A to Z, for example, is the word credit card uh, or discover card in the Bible. No. Uh, but are there teachings about financial management? Sure. Sure there is. Okay. So some things, uh, you know, you're not going to find um, taxation and, and redistribution of wealth language completely in the Bible. You have forms of it. All right. So what I want to try to tackle today is I want to tackle... Um, uh, the following here. Abortion, as I'm running into. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Uh, I want to tackle today abortion, and I want to tackle uh, some things about the Constitution, gun control, self-defense, and focus heavily on human trafficking, racism, and slavery, and what the scriptures say about these things. Um, where the scriptures speak softly, I will speak softly. Where the scriptures speak loudly or authoritatively, I will do that. Okay? Uh, if the scriptures speak little of it, I will speak little of it. If it speaks much of it, I will speak much of it. So, all right. So let's look at the first thing here. And this is abortion. And abortion is a very sensitive issue in our culture. And um, uh, one of the, uh, in, in my mind, based on the scriptures, one of the, the, the more accessible topics that we can address in scripture. Here are some questions. Does a woman have the right to choose anything that, that has to do with her body? Does she have that right? That is a core question. And the answer to that in part is yes. Certainly it's her body. She can do what she wants with her body. We couldn't deny that. But we have a problem upon pregnancy there's a second person in that body. And we wouldn't deny that she has a right to do what she wants with her body, but now we're getting into the concept, concept immediately of human trafficking and slavery. Does she have a right to do something to another person, even though that person is embedded in her body? Now we have some serious ethical challenges with that, right? Um, when does life begin? You know? Um, uh, many very liberal politicians push and argue that life begins when the, the baby is viable, which means when the baby can survive on its own. So the idea is full term, nine months, the baby's born, now the baby's viable, now the baby's a human being, and now the baby has constitutional rights in the ninth month of living. When do you go back? How far do you go back? You know, uh, uh, for me, and I, and I am speaking of this from my position, 
I believe life begins at conception. That's when I believe life begins. Uh, when is the fetus viable? That's Latin for little one. And when does pregnancy actually endanger the life of the mother? Does anybody have any stats on that? Anybody know? Which is one of the singular driving arguments for the pro-choice movement. Yeah, it's less than 1%. So it's interesting that in that argument, the less than 1% becomes the 100% force of the argument for pro-choice. Right? So you have to be very, very careful about how we think about these things and how we perceive and understand them. Psalm 1973, your hands made me and fashioned me. 139, you formed me in my inward parts and you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Those two texts speak of uh, the handiwork of God in utero, not ex utero, in utero. Uh, Luke 1, 14, 42. And uh, this is the meeting between Elizabeth and things. Uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby left in her womb, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. That baby that just had an encounter with truth, with the Holy Spirit, with the mother of God, could be targeted with abortion just like that. That baby does not meet the criteria, full term, born, now viable, but in utero, second trimester, we don't know. Third trimester, we don't know. Evidently something close to that, right? And that baby is alive and can intellectually and spiritually respond to the reality of God. Life is sacred in the womb. All right. Let's look at another one here. Our Constitution. And I know we're kind of drinking out of a water hose real fast, so bear with me in all this. Um, key amendments that I want to focus on the right to free speech, the right to own and bear arms, the right to protection from unlawful search and seizure by law enforcement, by, by military and the right to a fair trial. All right, those are key issues. Uh, what about free speech? It's really interesting that in Acts 22 to 28, these are big chunks of scripture. They all present Paul engaging in free speech and seeking out a fair trial. That's what this, the whole text is about. In fact, Paul confessed earlier in his life, God has called me to stand before kings and great men to give testimony. There is a free speech component in this, and there is an idea of a fair trial, which actually was a part of, of Roman political process. Uh, whole chapters dedicated to this. So Paul is arguing, uh, presenting his case with Jewish authorities, the Jewish council, and then it moves into Roman territory, Felix, Festus, Agrippa, and then eventually he's transported to Rome, where in theory he potentially gives testimony before the Caesar, before the emperor. All right. There is a free speech component in that. If this was uh, uh, a Marxist system, could Paul do that? No. There's no need to do that. Not at all. Not at all. So let's look at another one here. Um, this is, this is our con a concept about our constitutional rights um, based on Luke 11. This is the use of, it, the question is, is it, is it Christian? Is it right to use deadly force? or is deadly force inherently evil, okay? Was Jesus a pacifist, right? Do any of you remember the very strict uh, teachings of the Amish? 
the pacifist honors. Do you remember these things? Um, anybody? Is this new to you? Yeah. You, Kathy, you are the authority. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in, in some of the strictest forms of, of pacifism in Amish culture, if an abuser comes, uh, the spouse will stand by, pray, and literally do nothing as a family member or relative is being abused. They're pacifists. You do not resist. And of course, one of the arguments for that is Jesus said, if you get slapped here, what do you do? That's an argument for pacifism. To, to not retaliate in the eye for the eye kind of concept. That's a scripture. You've got, you got to own it. You've got to do something with that. All right? And yet, we have a really curious expression or teaching in Luke 11. Now, Jesus is teaching about, uh, or he is accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. All right? And the Pharisees and Sadducees, which, by the way, are political parties. All right? You have, you have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you have the Essenes, you have the Herodians, clear political party. And you also have the zealots, Pat, your New Testament work. What are the zealots all about? They're all about, um, Remember the Sakari? What's that? By assassination. The Sakari, the dagger men, they would hide weapons in their sleeves and in their cloaks, get close to a, to a politician that they feel is troublesome and damaging the culture and kill it. One of those became a 12 disciple, <laughs> one of the apostles. Okay, he's a zealot. Somebody else? Janice? Well, when you're talking about passive, pass, passive, a pacifist, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Um, I was thinking about this verse because I was about this. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17, which they built it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that waited, every one with one of his hand wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. Yeah, one had a trowel in one hand and, and a sword in the other, yeah, which is really interesting. So the concept then is become, becomes this. If you have a weapon, do you use it for offense or do you use it for defense? Okay, watch what happens. It's, it's going to get thick here. Jesus is being confronted by the, by the Pharisees and accused that all of his spiritual activity, the miracles of healing, etc., and demon exorcism are actually the work of demons and Satan himself. And so Jesus comes back and says, hey, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And now watch what he says. He grabs an idea from the everyday culture of a Jewish male. Please appreciate what I just said. He's grabbing an idea from the everyday world of a Jewish male and says this. When a strong man fully armed, guards his own home, his house, his possessions are undisturbed or, or they're, they're, they're secure. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor, which he had relied, and distributes his plunder, sells it. Okay. Why would Jesus grab that illustration of the everyday world of the average Jew, a male, in order to teach about authority and the rights of protection and self-defense. Well, number one, it's because this is the heart and mindset of every Jewish male. 
a man protects his home. He'll make sure that the castle is secure, the doors are locked. And what's most important to him is secure, all right? A real quick comment about, about the southern border in a wall. Uh, I, I don't know how many homes are represented here. Let's say we've got 25 homes represented here. All of you, yes or no, are your front doors, back doors, windows all locked and secure? Why? Are you afraid of something? Afraid somebody's gonna come in and rob your house? What's the matter? Don't you trust God? Don't you believe? You know. Uh, so how is it that your home is so important to you that you think all doors should be locked? Why do you want an unlocked door wide open on the southern border? Why? Is it good for a nation? It's not good for a home. What about the village? What about the town? What about the city? What about the state? What about the nation? Any nation that has open borders is at risk. It's common sense. Just like you, if you leave your front door open and unlocked, you're at risk. By the way, quick comment. I was hoping uh, Officer Pope could make it. He's actually watching online. And Stephen, uh, let everybody know, I really need them to muscle in. And, yeah. <laughs> um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, San Francisco area, and all the rhetoric about defunding the police, right? California has actually dropped the budget for law enforcement, I think, to the lowest levels in like the last 15 years. Guess what's happened with home burglaries? In some areas around San Francisco, it's up 30, 40, 50, and some almost 100% increase in burglaries. You take away law enforcement, which leads to a question. I, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, uh, but I just want to touch on it. Our governing authorities, are, are police essential to the management of society? I've got a little bit of a nod. Do you think you're capable of, you're ready? are you capable, are we capable of governing ourselves? <laughs> what do you think? Let me illustrate it. What would happen if we took away all those little white dotted lines? We took away all those, those yellow solid lines and the white solid lines and the stop signs and the yield signs and the traffic lights. We took away all of it. Get in your car and do what you want. You want to drive that way? Some of you might say, well, welcome to you know, Houston, Texas or welcome to Russia or something. But can you imagine what we would be like if there were no traffic regulations. And then, and no enforcement if there's a violation. What it would be like. I know there's some teenagers, teenagers here, and they're the most amazing people on planet Earth. But give us a car keys to a 16-year-old male and give them no driving regulations. Wonder how fast this thing's going to go. <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen? Uh, someone was going to see me at the clinic last week. And they're at the, uh, the eternal left turn lane signal thing right out here, the one that goes on forever. And they finally got the yellow. She started to go, and somebody completely blew through the, 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 the red. Nearly T-boned her, could have possibly killed her at 50 miles an hour. Guess what? The person had no idea there was a cop right behind them when they were zipping through the red. And they got pulled out right in front of the church. And she came in, she was like, do you know what just happened to me? 
Can we self-govern? I don't think so. I don't think we can. All right. So, do we need self-defense? Do we need the right castle law, stand your ground law? Do we, do we need that? Or is that, by the way, the socialist Marxist countries, what is one thing they eventually do regarding guns? They have to. You cannot control, totally control, any populace that is armed. You can't. And so little laws are engaged to eventually begin restrictions uh, that become so oppressive, you guys, it's not worth it. I was talking to somebody uh, recently out of California about a carry concealed license, and they said, Chris, it's not worth it. The expense, the law, the application, the fees are so exorbitant, and then if you ever had to use it in self-defense, you're going to jail point blank, regardless. It doesn't matter. It's not worth it, all right? You get the idea. When we establish laws so strict that it's discouraging these things, or when there's, uh, what, what did Francis Robert O'Rourke say he was gonna do if elected president, do you remember? Quote, unquote. Coming for your guns. I'm coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you understand this rhetoric is being used in our culture at this time now? And do you understand the implications of that? If we take, if we start posturing towards socialistic ideology, Marxist ideology, okay. Jesus teaches that there is something that appeals to the heart of a Jewish man that you need to take care of your house. And of course it applies to a female as well but he's speaking to the male sense of responsibility and all and obligation and all these things. Just a couple more. This one's really unusual, Luke 22. This is right before his own arrest. Jesus said to them, when I sent you out with that money belt and bag or sandals, you did, you did not like anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now whoever has money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Jesus is, is endorsing the use of a weapon for defensive purposes only, never offensive purposes, all right? Um, I know the time's getting away. Human trafficking, uh, are, are human beings unique and must be differentiated from plants? Of course. Are we created in the image of God? Yes. Is it ethical to value as possessions, similar to cattle, tools, or other people. Humans, can we do that as Christians? Is it ethical to possess humans for the purpose of forced labor and services against their will? And the answer is no, no. Luke 18, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. A simple reference that implies children need protecting. Proverbs 24, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter will hold them back. But if you say, see, we did not know this. Does you not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does, not, does he not know uh, he, I'm sorry, does he not know it who keeps your soul and will he not render to man according to his work? We as followers of Jesus are obligated to protect those who are vulnerable. Mark 7, and, and this is really interesting. Mark 7, Jesus is being approached by a Syrophoenician woman, very much a Gentile, and she's asking for healing. And Jesus said, let the children be satisfied first, meaning let the Jews be satisfied first. They get the priority. And for it is not good to take the children's bed and throw it to the dogs. Jesus made a very racial statement, point blank. He did it. He called her a dog. 
Now, you might not appreciate it, but in, in Jewish culture, Gentiles were often called dogs of the scavenging, nasty, unclean variety. All right. He used a racial comment, and he used it with the intent to expose just how serious she was about faith. And she, Pat, remember this, of all the people that Jesus gave the parables to, she's the only one to get inside of it and respond back. And she goes, you're right. She didn't say, well, that was a racial comment, and so you, I, you can't be Messiah anymore because you made a racial statement. She said, you're right. But even the dogs get some of the crumbs that fall from the table. And, he was, and that's what he was looking for. It wasn't about racism. It's about her heart. And that's exactly why he made the statement. And she, he goes, you're, the way you've answered, your child is healed. Go in peace. Wow, the genius of that, right? Um, uh, human trafficking. Um, Luke 10, hard for us to appreciate this. Uh, a Samaritan was on a journey, came upon the man who had been beaten. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Ah, key concept, compassion. And he bandaged him. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, bound up his wounds, took him to an inn, and was willing to pay for all of his expenses. He asked the lawyer, you tell me who the, the neighbor is, uh, who acted as a neighbor, and said the one that showed mercy. He says, go and do the same. Uh, I want you to appreciate this story. A priest walks by the victim. A Levite walks by the victim. We're talking about the elite people of Jerusalem, the best of the best the moral, ethical, spiritual, best of the best, walked around the man that was abused. It was the Samaritan that stops to care for the man. Let me tell you how, how much hatred existed between the Jews and the Samaritan. For one, the Jews corrupted the bloodline during a captivity period. All right. There was so much animosity, some of the Samaritans snuck in and offered polluted sacrifices in the Jewish temple. You think that upset the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Yeah. yeah. They were hated. The Samaritans were hated. The racial tension was so high that Jews couldn't stand them, and vice versa. And yet Jesus is using a Samaritan as the ideal model of a Christian, of someone who has compassion. Um, Colossians 3, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self of the evil practices put on the new self being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, they were hated by the way, slave and free. But Christ is all in, in all. Uh, some people say that Paul really messes up here. Can anybody figure out why Paul messes up? That slaves and free are kind of equalized, but they still are slaves. Why is, why is there a problem with this? Anybody? You can ask the hard question, Pat. To be a slave would go against the, one of the fundamental principles of Christianity where putting a person as the property because he's acknowledging the fact that slaves are still around. He's not denouncing slavery in that way. He doesn't denounce it. Exactly. You nailed it. Yeah. And that kind of endorses it that, hey, if you are a slave, suck it up, buttercup, make the best of it because in Christ we're all the same. Okay. And it is people who are very anti-Christian that take that text and say, look, the scriptures endorse slavery. They go right there. Does it make sense? You with me? You get a few smiles, a few nods? Okay. Guess what? They're missing something. 
Why did Paul do this? These are called household codes, by the way. It's, it's about um, <clears throat> how to create some social order is what this is about. Um, uh, why is Paul doing this? Why did Paul not tackle, <clears throat> excuse me, tackle slavery and, and make an effort to abolish it completely in every place he went? Why? Part of the time, very much cultural. Absolutely, we need to answer that. What else? Our identity is in Christ, which is what is accomplishing here. Okay, so there's cultural things, but it's a spiritual identity. What else? This is the big one that even Elizabeth, the great Elizabeth Schuessler Fiorenzo, the great feminist out of Harvard, misses. I'm smarter than she is. That tells you. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Anybody? When does Paul pass? When does Paul believe Christ is coming back? Is it an issue then? No. What's the issue? Mass evangelism. The priorities of evangelism. Not complete social reform. Christ is coming back any day now. Does this make sense? And so you, you miss that and you're like, oh, well, Paul is endorsing sleep. No, he's not. Paul is saying, in Christ, we have an identity in Jesus. And we've got to hold on to that because he's coming back any second now and we've got to do everything we can to get the gospel to the world. And in that effort, there's some things that took a back seat to the overall command of the gospel. Does that make sense? Ouch. It's tough. It's tough. All right. Let's punch through this human trafficking a little bit more. You need to be aware that Planned Parenthood is the singular most racist institution in America. And I stand so convicted in that. It began decades ago with the purpose of dealing with what is called the black problem. Do you know what the black problem is? I'm going to speak very pointedly with you right now. This is all documented in the work of Margaret Sanger. It's all public record. Do you know what Margaret Sander, Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood, and the team behind her, do you know what they believed? They believed with all their hearts that blacks were inferior Blacks were stupid, and blacks were an unhealthy part of American culture. And you know what was worse? Their breeding practices. They would procreate so much that it became a, a problem. And so the one thing to deal with the black problem is what? Kill them. It's all on record. I didn't make that up. It's all on record. It is the most intense form of racism that takes place in America today. And, and, and we, this thing is bought wholesale, and we turn a blind eye, I'm saying collectively the nation, we turn a blind eye to what's really going on with abortion. They're targeting blacks. Not the nice little white girls that kind of slip up one on a date and oops, we didn't use protection. That's not who they're targeting, do you understand? Very, very serious. So, um, all right. Now, what are uh, the hours late? Thank you for being patient. I knew it was going to be intense. Um, what do we do? What are our obligations? In view of this, and there's so much more. I've got 25 pages here. I'm going to make this available to everyone as a PDF. What What are our social obligations? Number one, we've got to bring the gospel of Jesus to the world, to everybody. Um, Stephen, you and I have talked. The real problem with racism, uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole mess of this thing 
It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. We are so full of hate that we're incapacitated, incapacitated to love. And only Jesus can change the heart. What do we do? We prove ourselves blameless. We've got to be an example of the stuff that's important, okay? Provide emergency shelter. Provide food. Provide uh, clothing. When someone's in distress, we, we help. We try to fight for the justice of those abused by citizens, employers, and government officials, and even military and law enforcement. We do what it takes to protect people from the abuses of authority. Are there limits to government authority? Absolutely, there are limits. <clears throat> Absolutely. I was on a, the, the phone uh, uh, yesterday, uh, two days ago, with an attorney advocating for a, a client is being abused right now by a judicial process and falsely accused of a crime. I, w I want in on the fight. I want to be a part of the answer. I don't want to be a critic on the sideline. I don't want to be their armchair critic. I want in on the fight. This is what I want to do. I want to engage in politics. I think some of you should run for office. Uh, Jeremy Geyer, if you're online, please run for office. He's going to be online. Please run for office, Jeremy. I will vote for you in a heartbeat. I think we need to vote for the candidate who most closely aligns with the values and teachings of Jesus. And while we're at it, we've got to get the gospel out. Yeah. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I will tell you, because I follow the ways of Jesus, and I believe that this word is my source of authority, that you've got to vote over the issues, not the personality. We vote over the issues. Do I believe there's a battle of good and evil? Do I believe there's a... Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, spiritual warfare, absolutely, absolutely, uh, without, without question. All right, um, I know this has been intense. You are the gifted body of Christ, and we've just touched on these things. And uh, it's, been, it's so hard when you do these kind of sweeping surveys, um, but you're the body of Christ. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You, by virtue of you being here at this church, by implication, you're a follower of Jesus. Own this thing. What are our social obligations? Do we engage in politics? Or should we be separatists and pacifists and stay in the sidelines and just say, well, you know, God wins in the end. I've read the last chapter. It's going to all work out. It's okay. Just take it. Learn, muscle up in persecution. Just learn to take it. You know, it's okay. Do we take that that passive, or do we engage? You know, you're the body of Christ. I don't want to do me search. I want to do research. Let's do it together. Give comment questions uh, from folks online, Stephen. Let's own this thing. How do we live this out? Jesus, politics, and the ob social obligations of his followers. How do we live out the biblical mandate to be a part of the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and to engage in social injustice, to do something about the problem? What would you say? You're the church. Please respond. <clears throat> Chris, you uh, talked at the beginning, you know, the uh, Bible spoke to the love it, you speak to the love it, and you spoke a lot, then you speak a lot. And I, I think that probably speaks more about the evangelism part than it does the political part. But the political part is easier to do. 
You can do that on your couch. You can do it on Facebook. You can yeah. vote, you know, by mail practically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the main thing that the hard thing that we're not doing is the yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Very wise. Yeah. The entire sweep of the New Testament is about the inbreaking kingdom of God and the effect on the hearts of men who believe. Yes, Janice. Yes, because I think that, uh, and I'm going to take it the more political route, but I do think that we need to policies over policies. So if they are, if, you know, in the past, I have been very guilty of not researching, researching the candidates and just thinking, well, that one's, you know, such and such, so I'll look to that one. When that one may not have been the best candidate. Right. So for me today, I'm taking a lot more interest in what those candidates stand for. Because I don't like what I see that has happened to the government sure. and to our country and to our land and we are giving away medicine and people have into it. Yes, we've felt the force, but we should always be the church's direction. Yes. Not the government. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, good you know, we've got to to me I just think Yeah. Policies over personalities, and we need to really research what these candidates stand for. Yeah, exactly. By the way, regarding um, uh, food, uh, Stephen, you're aware of this. In the early church, they thought Christ was coming back so fast, people were quitting their jobs. Do you, do you remember this? They're quitting their jobs. They're not paying their, bank, their mortgage to Bank of America because, after all, Christ is coming back any day now. And so they began to be freeloaders on the church. And they would just come and hang out at the church. They'd do a worship service. They'd do food service. And then they would go back to their homes at night and come back. And they would just feed off the bounty of the church. Book of Acts. Chapters 1 to 6. It's all there. Right? 1 to 7. And then eventually what happened to the church and her, her free food bank stuff? What happened? They ran out of food. Ran out of stuff. You know? And again, there, there is a limit to what's available. And so by the time you go from the early chapters of Acts to... Uh, Second Thessalonians, what, thank you. What does Paul say for a man who's unwilling to work? He won't eat. All right. So what happens if everybody gets everything for free? What happens? You run out of other people's money, but what happens to the character of the person getting it? They have no self-worth. Yeah. A loss of human dignity. Parasitic attachment to the government, to the provider. By the way, any parent here, what would happen to your child if you let them get their way 100% of the time? Oh my goodness. Yeah, of course, when you, if you have a two year old, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They, they, they're emperors of their own little castle. But the scripture says a child who gets his own way, what does he do to his mother? Brings her shame. A child who gets their own way brings them other shame. In other words, you can't take a child and give them everything they want. You can't. They have to take a big dose of what's called vitamin no. <laughs> Kids need to take vitamin no. It's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So do we, do we give our food to the poor? Yes. Do we give them clothes? Yes, we do. But there's ways to do it where you, we can instill dignity and cause them to renew themselves. Now, are there people who uh, are totally incapacitated with physical impairment, mental illness, etc., and they literally cannot work and provide for them. Absolutely. Should they get the free ride? You bet. You bet. I 100% endorse that one. But if a man could work 
or woman and chooses not to, now we've got a problem. All right. Someone else on this, Stephen? Yeah, so Brian Pope says uh, that he has seen paint in Aberdeen first and he doesn't know which one's worse. So for his job, he tries to spread grace uh, and to show others grace daily. He tries to speak love to somebody on a daily basis. Yeah, thank you, Brian. You're part of the answer. You are. Someone else, why does this matter? Philip? Got a couple thoughts. Um, <clears throat> first being, I always tell people I'm a Christian first, an American second. Um, Christ over culture. We realize that we are citizens of God's kingdom. Yeah. And we have our own separate Bill of Rights. And I hope we know those more than our constitutional rights. Yes. Yeah. Uh, second, there needs to be a separation of church and state. If we believe that the government is our savior, it'll lead to ruin because they will disappoint us and fail us as a human institution. Some problems can't be solved by the government. And that's where us as a church needs to step up. Yeah. And uh, I lost my other problem. But those are the two big ones I had. Okay. So, uh, I think it's just really important that we invest in our communities, invest in these areas of need, and be a light. Um, and, oh, and the last point I was going to make um, it seems like our nation's really divided in two political spectrums. Please be tolerant and look on the other side. Yes. When you stop doing that, you're going to lose the support of the Lord. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Things I agree with. Atheists will certain things. Sure. And if we lose that ability to believe, then we're not going to Gotcha, gotcha. Young man, Joe's dad. You've always been a faithful person. so good uh, and really Philip that's part of what you said we need to really understand understand people it's so critical Jeff yeah I want to piggyback on what Philip said bottom line here is if you don't do what you do with grace and through the spirit you are causing damage to the things that matter which is what Philip said mm -hmm. about being, being being citizens of the kingdom mm -hmm. uh, the spirit I believe if we're guided by the spirit we're able to walk through the world to guide you the most not too concerned about that. What I am concerned about is people who like to hunker down on the policy. Well, we need to stand against abortion. Well, okay, we do. Let's say tomorrow I can snap my fingers and make abortion go away. What are you going to do about the problem of tens of thousands of new babies that have just hit the market? Whatever you want to call them. <laughs> there they are. Now, are we just going to let them die right the streets or are we going to take care of them? Yeah. And, and there's a church. That's now, yeah, exactly. If you want exactly. to get rid of abortion, do that now. Yes. You want to outvote abortion. We, Probably will never see the day that this country abolishes abortion. But right. we can do something about it by giving the parents that don't want to do it and think they have no other option yeah, yeah. a viable option. Can I can I be ouchy just for a second here? This is going to get it's going to sting. We oftentimes don't want to take in those babies because we don't want anything to disturb our lifestyle. 
and our comfort, and our, and our Facebook feeds, and our, our binge watching, our Disney Plus, or whatever it is. We don't want to deal with that. You know, Dan and Lacey Dedalian, they've chosen to get in on that fight. And they take babies in in emergency, uh, for emergency care. And it turns their world upside down. And guess what? They're okay with that. By the way, DHS right now, do you know what's going on with them since COVID? They have babies sleeping in the offices of DHS personnel. They have no place to put these kids. No place at all. You want in on a fight? You want to be a part of the answer? There you go. Adoption, fostering, all these kinds of things. Joe, thank you. Stephen, anybody else online at this point? Some, um, Jackson? They'll know we are Christians by our love, not by our hate or what we hate. Wisdom from a young man. Someone else. Why does this matter? So good, Stephen. So good.
only Jesus that that person sees. So we have to be able to portray Jesus in love and compassion mm-hmm. and also in that is so good, Carrie. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad. Um, let's do the uh, yes, um, Michael. I just wanted to say that uh, in all my years, I've realized that like 90%, and I'm just making this statistic up on the spot, uh, 90% of people don't learn out of books. We learn from other people. And so I'm not diminishing our responsibility to read the Bible. But if we are not proving ourselves blameless and innocent in our culture and uh, some of those other things that we see up there, other people won't be able to see it and learn from it. Yeah, yeah, that's so good, Michael. Michael, yeah. Uh, here's a, something, uh, Madison, go ahead. Say that again. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? Yeah. I just wanted to remind everybody that the deadline to register to vote is tomorrow. We love you. <laughs> you know, I'm a felon, but um, I got off probation. And if you're, even even for people that go to prison, if you have friends or anybody you work with that has is a felon that's gone to prison and they're working with you, they're not in prison anymore. Um, and if they're off probation, they can go register to vote. Yeah. And just yeah. take your ID and you have to have discharge paperwork, like they'll give you a two week Thank you, Jen. I am so grateful for you. Yes, I am so grateful for you. You made me happy. Thank you. Um, Christ Church, uh, yes, yeah, Jen. One more thing I wanted to bounce off of what you said over there about the responsibility part of it. And I think how we can show responsibility to our beliefs and our um, convictions are things like going to pray for the four years of life, Rolling crisis closet. Yeah, there's lots of ways that we can speak to our beliefs. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Yeah.
Jesus and James says, faith without works is dead. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Um, uh, I'm very confident that each one of you has a contact, a friend, a family member that you know they are not a follower of Jesus. You could go to them and you could talk to them about the gospel. You can do this. Joseph, you're right. The New Testament of all things is about the inbreaking kingdom of God and what it means to be born again. John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. It is essential. It's everything. So we've got to talk about the gospel. We've got to give people the death story and the resurrection story of Jesus and what he can do for us for them as he has done for us so all right i know it's gone very late i knew this was going to be intense and you're so patient thank you so much you might need to stand and get some blood flowing in your legs let me pray and stephen's going to lead us worship abba father i love you and i thank you thank you for the grace that i've heard this morning and yet the convicting truth that we've got to engage our cup our, our culture in our, in our, our, our city and our nation first and foremost with the gospel and then with our example and then to to vote and get involved in the political process based on the teachings of your son, Jesus. Lord, please help us to do this. Thank you for the kindness and the mercy that you give us. Abba, Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord.